Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Bone by Porteo21 I don't know why, but I had a feeling that something was off that night. It was about a decade ago, so my memory of what happened might be a bit fuzzy. What happened that night happened at about 11 or so. My parents were sleeping, my brother was at his girlfriend's place, and I was by myself watching a show on my computer. At some point, I turned off my computer, got coffee ready for the next morning and tried to get some sleep. That's when I heard these weird clicking noises outside my window. After a while, I looked out to see where it was and what it was coming from. That's when I saw it. Walking in the middle of the road was this tall, bone-white creature, roaming the neighborhood as if searching for something. I can't tell if it was hunched over, or if that's how it normally is. I wasn't sure if it was a creature or a weirdly deformed man. What the fuck? I said to myself. That's when it turned to look at me. I quickly ducked down so it couldn't see me. I tried to process what I just saw. But before I could even think about it, I can hear its clicking noise right outside my window. Keep in mind, my bedroom window is on the second floor of the house. Not sure how it got up there so fast from the other side of the street, but just like that, it was there. I forgot to lock the window and I realized it was too late when I saw it quickly open the window and slowly made its way inside. I was able to get a better look at it after it got inside my room. This thing had to have been about seven feet tall at least. Its arms went down past its knees, with what I can assume to be abnormally long claws for its fingers. After a few seconds, I noticed how skinny this thing is. It's bone thin, as if it hasn't eaten in weeks or months. Speaking of, even with this closer look, I can't tell if it's human or some fucked up animal. I tried looking at its head to see what it is, but I didn't even know what I was looking at. The best way I can describe it is its head was shaped like an amateur paper mache whose head had a snout of a goat. The weirdest part was that it didn't even have eyes, like its skin grew over the sockets covering them completely. It slowly made its way out of my room and down the stairs, clicking as it moves around. I'm thinking that's how it sees. That sound continues to ring in my head to this very day. It's ear piercing. Echoing clicks is something I'm never going to forget. I quietly grabbed my phone, went to the stairs and took a picture of this monstrosity. I was about to try and call the police when my dad walked out and asked what I was doing. The creature looked up the stairs directly at us catching my dad off guard. What the fuck is that? He yelled. Before we even had a time to react, the creature lunged toward my dad. I didn't see what happened next, 
I immediately hid in my room where I heard the screams and cries for help from my parents' room as that thing attacked them. I called the police while I was hiding. When they showed up, the creature was gone. I managed to get a glimpse inside the room before they took me outside, and what I saw is something I'm never going to forget. My dad was lying on the floor, and my mum was on the bed, motionless. There was no blood, no stab wounds, no trauma, anything. They were just lying there as if they were deflated balloons. I learned later on that their bones were gone. They weren't sure how it happened or who did it, but I knew. I tried to show the police the picture of the creature that killed my parents, but they brushed it off, saying that a creature like that doesn't exist. They believe the creature I saw to be a result of trauma. To this day, they never found the creature or figured out how it took all the bones out of my parents' bodies. As I said before, this was about a decade ago. However, I bring it up because I think I've been seeing it around my neighborhood recently. I can't tell for sure because whatever it is, it hides in the shadows. I'm writing this as a warning. If you see this creature nearby, get away from it as quietly as you can. Rigor Mortis 9th December 1941 I stayed by Mr. Brahms' side where the men fled. A pursuit was the least of my worries. It was no use. People shouted and ran out of the tavern. Yet I held this lukewarm body as close as I could as it slipped into a frozen carcass. His upper head was missing. It was horrendous. Bits of his crown stuck out of the broken flesh, parts of his skull scattered throughout the bar. While mourning out of shock, his warm blood poured and soaked into my uniform, but I didn't care. He was dead. Before I knew it, reinforcements arrived. After the carcass got wrapped and handed over to the morgue, the police lent me a fresh set of clothes they had on hand. They offered to wash my bloodstained uniform, to which I declined. Not even I could identify the source of paranoia and stress. Was it the firearm, or was it the corpse? I had no idea. They say that the worse the battle, the fewer people remember. I'd say it could have been the corpse. 10th of December, 1941 my train of thought has been disrupted numerous times since the accident. I told the press to leave my involvement out of the newsletters and in any form of media. It would have been a hassle. Still, they questioned me for personal remarks about my late employee. I could not answer. I barely knew him despite being so close. He is a good employee. He was a good employee. Mr. Brahms seldom talked and kept to himself. He was a private person who didn't speak about his personal life. Mr. Brahms never gave me an emergency contact. As far as I knew, both his parents were gone. Be it passed or moved, I did not know. There were no friends or lovers either. He rarely chatted with the staff. There were times I wished he could have been more talkative. Despite his neutral demeanour, his expression always felt tired when they came round. It was very depressive. I had decided to close the pub for a few months, if that's fine with you, Mr. Brahms. December 11th, 1941. 
Noticing as I was the only one who had held accountability for his demise, there was a price to pay. As a failed manager and employer, I chose to play kin and attend the appointment at the morgue. I attended the morgue the next day. Upon signing Mr. Brown's papers, they asked me if I wanted a burial or cremation. I answered cremation. As much as I desired to bury them, money became scarce as inflation rose. Besides, cremation was indeed cheaper and required less work to manage. Though the morgue notified me with an absurd statement, I requested to see the body. They kept saying his wounds never stopped bleeding. It seemed ridiculous when I first heard it. A corpse. Those injuries never ceased percolating. What a statement. I informed myself when we headed towards the mortuary's cold chamber. I haven't seen Mr. Brown since the tragedy. The thought of his corpse lying there, frigid and quiet, terrified me. The mortuary assistant was already there when we arrived. The room felt flat and dim. The surrounding area grew colder as I walked closer to the center of the room. I dared myself not to look up, but I did anyway. And there it was, underneath rotten gauze, lay the corpse of my former employee. They did not lie. As opposed to his body, his head was left open and damp. Blood flowed ever so slowly out of his wound and into a bucket carefully placed underneath to catch it. The bucket remains half full. I stayed by his corpse, observing it with empty thoughts and tempered emotions. The sound of his blood trickling into the bucket triggered every nerve in my body. A few minutes later, amid silent daydreams in the corner of my eyes, I saw it move. I saw his body move. Mr. Brahms' fingers twitched two times. I insisted it did. He was still alive. The mortician disclosed my claims, stating it was only a scientific phenomenon. Rigor mortis was the stiffening of the body's muscles after 12 or so hours. The body had only been decomposing a few hours ago. It was only natural that his muscles tensed and retracted. Their explanation calmed me down. After additional random jolts in the deceased later, I couldn't bear it anymore. I decided to leave. In the cold room, I prayed for Mr. Brahms' safe trip to heaven and bidded farewell to the morticians. Cremation will suspend until the blood ceases leaking. They allowed me to pick a date. December 18th, I went back to my house, promising to visit another day. On my way to the tram, succumbed emotions finally unraveled. Unfortunately, he wasn't alive. December 25th, 1941. Gone. Mr. Brahms' corpse was gone. I blinked with the morgue staff and fought myself in the battle of my anger and despair. It hadn't been a week. Furthermore, cremation had entirely ceased. Now the body's gone. Disappeared into thin air, the mortician said. How could they lose a corpse? It's not like it could walk away and vanish. I could have sued, but my emotions got the better of me as I sulked, waiting for more solemn to fill my mind. In the end, I didn't bother to argue with them anymore. What's the point? There was little to no energy left to care. 
With a heavy heart, I brought a gravestone for Mr. Brahms and positioned it in the sleepy hollow cemetery near the Headless Horseman Bridge. He loved that story. I figured with such coincidence, both Hessians died from a horrible fate and the loss of their heads. It acted as a substitute for the missing body. There was no casket to lay for the empty ground. A few people attended this funeral. Co-workers, acquaintances of the deceased and such, but never kin or friends. 28th December 1941 I saw him in the hallways. I found his corpse. Mr. Brahms stood in the hallway, slightly swaying as if getting used to the new balance. His corpse darkened in grey hue, and his body remained stiff. Thick blood still spilled out of his gaping wound, though strangely enough, he had his old uniform on, though I didn't question it further. However, I discovered smoke coming from his throat. Why? How? I'm uncertain. No matter... I was happy to see him. Did I blame the devil's necromancy for such a miracle? Or had God become generous with prayers? It might as well waltz with death to thank grace for my irresponsibility and inconvenience. Alas, I'm at peace. He disappeared in the day once I opened my bar, then returned at night. To this, I worked a routine for me to manage him and the tavern. I didn't disclose this information to anyone, not even the staff. I tried to communicate with him. It didn't seem to reach him as he ignored my pleas and questions. He wandered across rooms and halls, neglecting my advances, which were acceptable to me. His cold hands flinched when I attempted to touch them. Mr. Brahms could have been nervous since his return. I left him to formalise his settings again. 16th of February, 1942 There was a corpse in the hallway. It wasn't Mr. Brahms. It was someone else entirely new. I couldn't tell who it was. His face had stood mauled, abdomen spilling out. Skin immaturely ripped as I found a piece of Mr. Brahms' flesh near him. His fingers grew damp with blood from dents in his crooked nails. The shirt had been yanked and ripped. This man struggled before he passed. Did Mr. Brahms do this? Why did he do it? The fresh carcass hadn't been my first, yet Mr. Brahms wasn't my first either. I have seen worse. Of course, I couldn't let it stay in my pub. Police would have to investigate, and the thought of them finding Mr. Brahms' corpse roaming made my heart drop. I couldn't let them discover him. I didn't want them killed. Why did I have to choose between the living and the dead? 4th of March, 1942 It had been three weeks. One week since I disposed of the body, two since two more appeared. Same situation, identical manner, but in different places. One man and one woman, I dumped their bodies into the Hudson River after sawing their flesh into miniature sizes for the fish to consume. Their bones were left to sit in caustic soda and water. The bone hulls were the result of dissolving said carcasses. I scattered them into the land once they were bone dry. The Lord would have smitten me for my iniquities, yet I loved Mr. Brahms too much to let him go. At night he would roam the bar. He did nothing in particular. 
I kept my eyes on him after he butchered those three, yet I never caught him despite the conspicuous assumptions. He wouldn't let me see him kill. Would he kill me too? 6th of October, 1943. More people started going missing from the town. More started chattering about it. Mr. Brahms brought in more bodies. They noticed Mr. Brahms' foul scent. I pushed to mask the smell with bleach and sanitizer, anything I could find. Blood had been challenging to deal with. Dark stains appeared, and I would mop and scrape the wooden boards morning and night before opening time. My staff worried about my deteriorating health. I cannot rest in the kidnapping and manslaughter of the undead, for the undead. Dignity swept underneath my soul once I vowed to keep him safe. His hauntings became more abrupt, and it remained a task to maintain his existence a secret. He had several mental breakdowns in one sitting. The bar itself moved and caved. The walls creaked and floors hollowed through attempting assassinations. I made sure destruction stood kept underground. However, silence couldn't hold forever. Would I get rid of such a blight? Was what I would have asked if I had the strength to face my late employee again? Everything I had witnessed and experienced felt absurd or unreal, the equivalent of a fever dream, a nightmare. While attending to Mr. Brahms' mess, in my mind there was one question I longed to ask him. Are you happy, Mr. Brahms? 11th April 1945 Dear Mr. Brahms, of to whom it may concern, after unfaithful event of disturbances in the tavern, I do not have the will to continue with the business. I have been patient with your destruction, yet I can no longer tolerate it. Words cannot describe how heartbroken I am to see you like this. When I saw you in the hallways, I could not bear the remorse I have upon your death. Your return from the dead had me on my knees. I was happy, but I will not come back. Haven's Bar will be your paradise and property when I am gone. She will be your home. Please take good care of her. You are a good employee, Mr. Brahms. May God forgive our sinful hearts. May he forgive you too. Sincerely, Walter Osborne. Wardrobe Woes The walk-in closet was supposed to be her sanctuary, but now it felt like a prison. She had gone in to grab a sweater, but as she reached for the door, it wouldn't budge. The handle refused to turn, as if someone had locked it from the other side. She panicked, rattling the door with all her might, but it wouldn't open. Her phone was in the living room, and she couldn't hear if anyone was calling her. She was trapped, alone in the dark. Hours passed, her throat was raw from screaming, and she was cold, trembling from fear and the chill of the closet. She tried to take deep breaths, and tried to calm herself, but nothing worked. Her mind started playing tricks on her. She could swear she heard whispers and faint footsteps outside the closet, but maybe it was just her imagination. And then the whispering became clearer. She could hear the sound of someone moving about the room outside the closet. Her breath caught in her throat as she listened intently. It was a man's voice, soft and low, but she couldn't make out what he was saying. She wanted to scream for help, but she was too afraid. Ah, what if he heard her? What if he was the one who locked her in here? The sound of the man moving around grew louder, and then the closet door started to shake. He was trying to open it. She pushed against the door with all her strength, but it wouldn't hold. 
She felt his breath on the back of her neck as the door opened, and she turned around to face him. But no one was there. The room was empty. She felt a cold hand brush against her ankle, and she screamed. She tried to scramble back, but there was nowhere to go. She felt hands grabbing her, pulling her back into the closet, and then... Darkness. When her husband came home later that evening, he found the walk-in closet door open and empty. After coming back downstairs, he noticed that her house keys were resting on the hallway table next to her purse, and her phone reflected the lamp's yellowish light right into his eyes as he entered the living room. There was no sign of his wife anywhere. He called the police, but they couldn't find a trace of her. It was as if she had vanished into thin air. Years later, the new owners of the house reported strange occurrences, whispers in the middle of the night, doors slamming shut on their own, and the sound of someone moving around the house. They say that the walk-in closet is cursed, and that anyone who enters it after midnight and closes the door never comes out. And if you listen closely, you might hear the faint whispers of a woman's voice begging for help trapped in the darkness. This story was written by Alparos Lilik. Melohi Melohi is a creature of completely unknown origin. The word itself is an anagram for Elohim, the Hebrew name given to the God of Israel. Despite its name, it is not an antichrist, it's more of a mythical creature of sorts. Melohi is the name of a being with the omniscience of a deity-like entity. He hides in the dormancy of other entities and lives naturally in different worlds. You can experience this entity by doing this ritual, and doing so, you can attain a knowledge of the universe. Any question you have, whether it's to do with the past, present, or future, will be in your hands. You need a few items that should be relatively easy to attain. A chair, four or more black candles, back or incense, or other objects of smudging, a mirror, tape, or rope, a mostly empty room, and a friend. It is recommended to use rope for a stronger bond, but using white or black tape has the potential to harness more energy from the entity itself, as it symbolizes certain aspects of spirituality. The room needs enough space for all the objects and people to do the full ritual correctly. This ritual can be started at any time, but for the best effect, it should be done between midnight and four in the morning. Start by lighting these candles. The more the better. Place the candles surrounding the mirror. Place the chair as close to both the center of the mirror and the center of the room as possible. Have the friend strap your limbs tightly to the chair. Ensure there is no room for escape. As the ritual will end in a terrible fate for you if you're able to get free. Light the incense and smudge the mirror. Now, stare into the smudge spot of the mirror. Don't take your eyes off of it. If you hear voices, don't look away. If you see changes in scenery, don't look away. Look at the mirror at all times. If you fail, the ritual will end. If you are plunged into total darkness, the ritual has begun. When I said you'd experience this creature, I meant you'd become it. At this point, Milohi has entered your body and is using you as a vessel for a great reward. The longer you let it control you, the more knowledge you attain, both from questions you ask and answer to questions you've never asked. Milohi is a lonely creature who only wants to play a game with you, 
Arthur no more than a minute, a human-like figure will appear in the mirror who is not you. Malohi is taking the form of something familiar in order to not scare you. The point of the game is to go as long as possible with Malohi inside you, both of you going back and forth between asking questions and questioning answers. Start by asking a question, anything you'd like. Malohi will answer it truthfully. Now it is his turn. He will give you a trivia fact, a quote, a piece of information or other statements that he finds interesting. These could be friendly facts, such as how elephants view humans the same way the humans view kittens. However, these could also be disturbing or unpleasant, such as how the lifespan of a sloth is only 20 years. There are only three rules. One, no matter what it says, don't get aggressive with Malohi. This gives it more power. Two, don't question its abilities, even if you dance around it. It knows when you think of him highly or as a fool. And three, be polite. This is a omniscient entity after all. Accounts from people who tried this ritual with a friend say they saw their friend struggle like no man. The pigment of their skin became pale and red. Their veins popped out. They yelled and roared like no human being could yell and roar, generating reports from neighbors. The friend's job is to stop Malohe from taking control before it's too late. People who have been possessed by Malohe have stated that during the ritual, the feel of sense of normality and indifference in the room, unless Malohe angers them. However, after the ritual, they feel the most intense ache and pain they have ever felt, worse than that of any virus or flu. For one or both of you to end the ritual, the phrase, I have heard what I wanted to hear, must be said three times. You must close your eyes until the entity is gone or your friend must break the mirror. Be warned, however, as breaking mirrors can be said to cause bad luck. After ending the ritual, it will be like nothing has happened, other than the tempering of the objects themselves. Everything else will be the same. Doors will still be closed or open, devices will still be dead, or at the same battery life as before, even the time will have stayed the same from what you first started. Don't ever try this ritual again, when done more than once, Malohe will have the same strength over your body as before. Once broken out of the bonds, it is said to take control. It is not malicious and will not cause your body for bad intentions. However, breaking the rules of the game or losing control will send your soul to eternal damnation. Written by Brody T.E.M. Good day, you legends. I hope you enjoyed all four creepy pasta stories. We had bone stealing monsters, a corpse that sought to make more corpses, the worst kind of wardrobe malfunction, and the deity that seems to forgo dignity when taking over the bodies of others. Mates, thank you so much for listening. To all my new listeners out there, take some time to listen at your leisure to over 800 episodes on this channel and have a great time doing so. And if you want to support the show, you can visit my Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt where all patrons receive a 320 kilobyte audio episode and get to see the show change and evolve by their hand now i want to thank those very same awesome people firstly i have my own night t titan the colossal giant that scoops me up 
and puts this podcast in a stasis chamber of hugs and high fives. Matto Star, the super legend that keeps this show pumping along like a little putt putt machine. Thanks to your support, I'm able to kickstart another commission of stories soon, and this time a different author completely. I've seen some authors out there using the latest ChatGPT to create narrative bases and tales, and I've been in the game long enough now to know exactly how to spot them and what to avoid. This set of stories are going to be carefully created by me, and I can't wait to share them once they're completed. All thanks to your amazing self. Also, I made the time to go through your email and thank you so much for your questions. Love them. I'll be recording and sending my response to you this weekend, you superstar. Cheers, friend. And my fantastic Leather the Impressor, the king better being of all things bling, Leather Rex. Cheers for your support, you all-time rock of a pal. Thanks to you, I've been able to use some new plugins again to really cut the audio back and refine it. I hope you can hear the difference every single episode as I get crisper and crisper and yes, there is always room for improvement. Cheers, you very special peanut. Cheers for your support, friend. Also, I want to thank the peeps that put the wahoo in my yahoo and bing in my bang. I'm lucky to have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Sunshine Days, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffaelli, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, Paige Kramer, and Jane Gumnick. Thank you, you epically awesome people. Lastly, don't forget to leave a review if you have time. I really love iTunes one, so if you have 10 seconds spare, that goes a very long way to help me find more epic people like you to listen to the show. And I was emailed yesterday why I don't run ads. Pretty straightforward. I don't like hearing ads in my podcast that I listen to, so why should I have them in my own? So any love that you legends have to send my way is always welcome. Now, pour your tea, make it nice, ensure your flavoring is precise. Like a story, let it flow. Let the fables and tales take you home. It's these stories that bring us together and old audio that reminds us of how we've changed. Stay a while, have a listen. And as always, I hope to see you again. Have a fantastic week, you legends. Cheers.